Hello and welcome to One Throw at a Time, the only podcast that lets you carry two ultimate players around inside your shirt pocket. Excellent intro, Johnny. That was great. to be here it's our third throw at one time how you doing um doing pretty well we're midweek um and yeah things are going going pretty well i'm feeling healthy getting enough sleep so um these are the things that's that you need to do moving into and between playoff games that's it i mean i can at least speak from my own day physical therapy massage you know it takes a lot more when you age to get ready for for these games so i was physical therapy pool massage and now i'm feeling like uh back to square one so it gets harder the the older you get that's what i was told you know one of the most vivid ultimate memories i have um from when i was starting to play some higher level club in high school was getting off a plane in Colorado and Nate Castine had, you know, was a few seats ahead of me, had already gotten off the plane and was already sitting down in the airport and rolling. And when I kind of gave him a kind of sideways glance, he said, you know, Johnny, call me when you're 30 and we'll talk. So, well, Nate Castine, absolute legend, not only on the field and his storied career, but also a very talented physical therapist now very very professional in the office very uh very fun he would definitely have a lot of old tea outside of the office exactly right we'll have to have him on the show known for being a personality a bit of a grump sometimes but overall a great teammate everybody's favorite grump for everybody's sure. favorite grump nate castine and he loves it one of the smartest players i've ever seen Well, great, Rosso. Let's do a little bit of a recap of what happened this past Saturday, and then we can talk about what's going on next Saturday. We're kind of bookending it here for uh, the Breeze, and you want to walk us through what happened in the Philly game? Yeah, interesting spot in the season. It's playoffs, so very exciting. Last weekend, we played Philadelphia Phoenix in an elimination game. I think right before the game, I forget... I think it was somebody working on the broadcast team came up to me and was like, so you haven't won a playoff game in four years or five years. How's that feel? It's like, hmm, I don't know. I'm not thinking about that. Like, I, I didn't know that until you just told me. Thank you, sir. Um, so that was kind of how the, day, or the uh, game started. But I guess looking back, it has been quite a while since the Breeze won a playoff game. Last year, there was just one game to go to the Final Four covid year and then we had a heartbreaker where we played toronto in new york lost with five seconds left so to get a win is great i'm slowly coming around to winning is the only stat that matters that's kind of where i stand now and 
we got the win and we're on to the next game. How about you? How'd you feel throughout the game? And you want to give us a couple, couple of your insights? I'm sure they'd be greatly appreciated. Yeah. So starting out with that game, I felt like definitely wasn't our most efficient offensive performance in the first quarter. But one of the most heartening thing was that even though we were kind of having a turn a point, it seemed like, and having to grind on defense and get it back and uh, in order to get the hold, and they were kind of holding really easily with these hucks. Um, we didn't give up a break the whole first quarter, and that was our roughest quarter. And so I think that um, after kind of making it through um, that time of adversity, I kind of knew that we were on the right track because there was only uh, room to go up from there. And I think we, we definitely did that. And the defense came through as uh, the Hucks started to get a little bit more frantic and, the, and, and they started to, to kind of feel their legs a little bit more. I think that that was really... Um, something that I noticed throughout the game, which is like, dang, in the first quarter, they were throwing some dimes and completing basically yeah. all of their hucks, um, which is can be scary uh, if you're on kind of the the opponent side of that. But another thing to think about, especially in, um, in ultimate, whether it's a tournament or a more of a single game format, is it's really hard to do that consistently throughout an entire game or an entire weekend, especially... Um, because regardless of how in shape someone is, um, and regardless of how mentally tough someone is, that's a taxing way to play, um, running up and down the field, um, basically every point. And then also from a mental standpoint, making sure that you have every throw dialed, making sure that you're reading every disc. Right. And I think eventually that just caught up to Philly and, um, both sides of the disc for the breeze having a, a relentless mindset and uh staying together i think is what really helped us out and that that went for the 20 on the field but also the folks on the sideline i think that one of the things that um i've really appreciated about the breeze during the time that i've been on the team is how um leadership and the folks who are um not on the not on the 20 person roster in any given week are able to buy in and support their teammates because that's really what it's about yeah, it's pretty hard. I mean, there's some conflicts on and off the field. So pro teams are taken. I think we had maybe 35 on our roster. And yeah, that can be a little bit challenging when everybody's healthy and, and looking to play. But I think, you know, everybody's had a solid contribution during the season. And you know now that we're getting down to the playoffs, um, yeah, it's, if you're called, you got to go. And if you're not called, everybody just stepped up and bought in. And that's why I think we have a great team is we have that selflessness and confidence about ourselves. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. Um, how about a little bit of Breeze trivia for you tonight, Rowan? How about a little game? A little question. Okay. Who are the two Breeze players to have played in at least one game who have played the fewest possible D points. Jeff Odach? Nope. Good Tyler guess. Monroe? Nope, good guess. Okay, 0 for 2. I'm, my trivia, didn't, I didn't study. Johnny, uh, you put this on me real quick. You want me to tell you? I Sure. Stephen Mortonby? Okay. And yours truly? Johnny Moss. Indeed. No way. Apparently it was like Stephen... I think Steven's played fewer. He's played like four, and I've played six. And he, he told me that stat because I think he played two in our Ottawa game, the last regular season game, and was like checking out the stats or something, and then was like, yeah, I've played four, and half of them were in that last game. I mean, they were just yeah. reaching for people off the sideline. That happens sometimes when your defense is cooking and you get a lot of breaks. 
especially in the pro game where the coaches or D-line's just so tired, so they start grabbing O-line players. And I used to be one. I used to stay out. So if they were grabbing people, they would grab me. Now I'm actively like running against. Yeah, run away. Yeah, I'm running away and uh, letting. I guess you and Steven need to do a little bit better of being caught. Yeah, we just gotta we gotta get caught. I mean, I just I just think it's so funny how on any team that you're on, like when you switch teams or whatever, each coach will kind of form an impression of you, and it's so hard to buck out of that lane do you you think that our coaches are they don't have you as a prime crossover defender it seems like no like every i just think it's so funny that like in every spreadsheet they send out or anything sometimes they put like potential to crossover or whatever and and like everyone will be like probably not probably not and then there are a few no's and i'm usually one of the few no's well i actually have um a blueprint roadmap to get you crossing over oh really it takes a little while but all you do is 70% is getting blocks in practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, 50% is getting blocks in practice. And 50% <laughs> is going up to the coach after you got the block and just, oh, coach, I'm playing defense this year. Oh, did you see that? Mm-hmm. So you really need to sell yourself. for yourself. So you're getting some blocks in practice, but I don't know if you're I doing the, uh, the back the channel. self-advocacy app. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not you know. doing the politician side of it. Because there always is that side run. It's all about perception when you think about it. Coaches are people too. This is something that I'm trying to tell all players who I come across. Coaches are people too. And you know what? This is something my dad told me when I um, didn't make the teams that I was trying to make when I was really young and playing ice hockey and was really frustrated at the tryouts because kids who would hog the puck and just the entire tryout hog the puck and like skate all around but not do anything. And meanwhile, I was like trying to make good passes trying to, you know, dump and chase these sorts of hockey things. But then the team, the, the, then the guys who would hog the puck would make the team. And my dad told me something that still sticks with me today. It's just about the world and humans, but especially sports is it doesn't matter what you did. It matters how people perceive you and what you did, which I think is so true. Thinking about ultimate too, it's like you could be doing one thing, and everyone else could be seeing you for someone else completely, whether that's based on past performances that they've seen or maybe one moment that they caught versus another. And I just think that it's it's fascinating and something that is a really good way to think about not only where you're put when you're already on your team, but when you're trying out for teams, what kind of skills you would like to highlight and make sure that you, whether it's advocating for yourself for or showcasing them when you know the coach is watching, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's, and yeah, more than, you know, just... It, shows itself at tryouts a lot but even over the course of a season just yeah your role and what you're expected to do I mean for me there was a huge change coming I played one year of elite ultimate in Boston then got cut from Ironside and played on Garuda their kind of their second team and then when I came to DC it was like I almost could do so much more because you know, they didn't know me for who I was in Boston. So I was like, I'm coming to DC, you know, they were not going to let me huck the disc or play that much offense on Ironside. But I show up on DC, I have like a little bit of a resume. And I'm like, Oh, this is a new city, I'm just going to kind of fake it until I make it. And then DC kind of embraced me as, yeah, defensive player first, but I had a lot more autonomy and green light with the disc. So yeah, it's just, Small changes like that can completely change a player. So you should never feel like you're boxed into the player you are. Whereas maybe talk to some people that are close 
see what you need to do, what you can change. And yeah, you can really revolutionize yourself just based on perception. Don't put yourself in a box. Get out there, try something new. I was having a conversation with um, Daryl, our coach, Daryl Stanley, the other day, and it was about how in terms of improving and kind of slotting into roles that you're not necessarily used to playing in, the best thing you can do is find low-stakes scenarios in which you can mess up a lot because that's the way that you improve, especially when you're thinking about game, in-game skills. Like, you can throw as much as you want, but throwing in a game is so much different than throwing outside of a game or outside of a higher-pressure situation. It's the same thing with, like, basketball. Like, I can... Yeah. I can make a basketball some of the time, you know, when I'm just shooting around. But when I'm in a game, I'm, I'm, I'm awful. I'm yeah. not a hooper. And it's just like the adrenaline rush. It's just like the decision-making, how much more quickly you have to do it. And um, yeah, so I was just saying like one of the reasons why I think I'm a confident thrower now is because I was given a lot of leeway to mess up in high school. And I just think it's kind of a – it's – it sucks for folks who start later on and are kind of pushed into elite ultimate quicker because I think in that kind of scenario, it's hard to make mistakes because you feel like your teammates will judge you or you feel yeah. like you won't make the line that you want to make or whatever. Yeah, and coming in exactly as that where I started playing ultimate, like I never knew what ultimate was until I was 22, 23, I forget exactly the year. Like I had just no idea what the sport was. You could have said like, Rowan, what's ultimate frisbee? And I would have probably said, like, the disc golf answer or... Is that the one with the dogs? That's, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I was that person until I was, yeah, probably about 23. So one thing that I did was, like, I just never, like, s stopped trying to get better. So I think if anybody was going to box me in or something, like, it just, it wasn't going to stop me because my will was pretty strong. But I, I totally get it. Like my first year on Ironside, yeah, just doing the very basics, working hard on defense, dumping the disc. And yeah, I guess maybe coming to DC really helped. Playing on Garuda, the second team really helped because I got a lot more leeway. But yeah, maybe if I just like a, a lifer on Ironside, maybe I would have been a lot more one-dimensional. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that that's a, a really interesting pivot point to focus on kind of like an alternate path where it's like if you had made Ironside that second year, and kind of felt embraced by that community, would you have just kind of stayed a very athletic and great, but just a D-liner, you know, rather than kind of branching out to where you are now? Um, it's just interesting to think about. Not saying either way, but um, I just think that perhaps that that summer on Garuda may have uh, changed your life. It was great. And yeah, if you, if you aren't familiar with it, I commuted to Ironside for uh, two hours each way from Connecticut, my first year on Ultimate made the tryout after like seven steps of tryouts. I think I made the team because I got like one big block on a pony scrimmage. Then, yeah, rode the bench, but it was fun. I had a great year. Then the next year, I moved to Boston, moved in with Jack Hatchett to play for Ironside, and then that's when I got cut. So it was pretty tough, but I loved Garuda, and I loved that year, and it made me the player that I am today. It's a sad, it's like, it's a, it's a lot more heartbreaking if I dive into the details. Maybe we'll cover it in a different episode. But if you want Rowan to cover his heartbreaking Garuda story or Ironside story, I guess I should say, uh, please do write in one throw pod at gmail.com. probably be like a double episode, maybe. Like yeah, a we'll two do hour like special. an investigative series call. <laughs> your old Josh, call George Stubbs. Yeah, that'd actually be good. I would do that. Anyhow, looking too far forward. 
We are, however, going up north in but a few days to play New York, New York Empire in the divisional round of the playoffs. Um, and I'm really excited for the game. Would love to hear a little bit of a preview from Rowan, and then maybe I can add in my thoughts as they come. Yeah, I'm happy to, to preview this up. We know New York very well. We play them two, three times every year for many years. Uh, they are, you know, I shouldn't say it. <laughs> I think the best team of all time. <laughs> to talk more on the ultimate side, I'm excited for where our team's at. And we talked about it before Philadelphia. We wanted to put our first full game together against Philly. I don't think we got that. I think we missed a little bit in the first quarter offensively and defensively. So the good news is we still haven't had that final product. And perhaps we're saving it for this game. I think the offense is going to play with pace and tempo and the defense Maybe they need one quarter to wake up, or maybe they just hit the ground running. I know last time we played there, we got an early break or two, and then we turned it about three or four times in the second quarter. And then other than that, it was a very clean game. So if we can dip and dodge and avoid that little breakdown, and our defense does what they did last game, I thought they played well enough to win, I think that gives us our best chance. Yeah, I agree. I think that three of the quarters from Philly were really solid out of both lines, and I think that in order to pull out a win in New York, we'll have to make the shaky first quarter. And it doesn't have to be the first quarter, but any quarter we can slot in wherever. We'll have to make the shaky first quarter into a magic quarter. And I think that the magic quarter is coming. So uh, New Rochelle, 7 p.m. Eastern, Saturday night. I can't wait. Live on Fox Sports 2. And when you see it, you'll know. You'll know the magic quarter. Any matchups in the game that you're excited to see? Who who have you been getting on the the matchup from New York? They've been putting Marquez on me. Oh, MKBHD. Okay, and I that think length. that he's got a lot of length. Oh. I think the one thing that I want to focus on with Marquez is on the turn, making sure that I seal because um, he does have length, and I think that sometimes I overlook and don't seal on the arounds enough. So I want to just be vigilant on the mark because i do really enjoy pushing him under um and making sure that he he has the disc in his hands so we'll keep doing that and if they put someone else on me i'll look forward to that say hi you know chop it up yeah of course we love chopping it up rowan uh you got any you got any uh trash talk you're thinking about for this game or are you gonna keep it quiet or i don't know i might i've been going holistic lately so i've been going no ibuprofens i've been going no caffeine for about Two months. Oh, so you're kind of mellowing out. Yeah, but I'm... Or does it make you more cranky to not have well, your admit, caffeine? Well, no, I'm not like too addicted to caffeine. This is where I stand. So ditched all that just so I could get a baseline of where my body's at. And it responded well. So I'm continuing to play. But I think I might need a little bit extra in the divisional championship. I might go a little Red Bull and a little ibuprofen. Wow. And I'll probably bring my contacts. Although I was playing so well without my contacts, and then I put them in and had four, dare I say, turnovers in one game, which is unacceptable. But I maybe blame the contacts, so I might take them back out and go blind again. I play so much better when I'm flying blind. (laughs) The fact that you play 
sometimes without contacts a lot most of the time it baffles me because either way you usually kind of say oh i didn't have my contacts or i did have my <laughs> well contacts. i like to tell you guys after the game because i don't want to stress you out so i only You're have stressing one stressing me out now i only have one pair of contacts left i gotta make them last through the pro and club season can't can't overdo them you heard it here first folks send rowan some contacts That'd be nice. please it's not the worst vision but yeah um no trash talk from me. I'm going to try to keep it calm, work on my breathing, which I've been working on. So we'll just, we'll have to see and look out for the magic quarter and look out, look very closely to see if you think Rowan's wearing contacts and, you know, let us know. Let us know your thoughts. Please do. Okay, so Rowan, exciting development. We got an international question. We're international. Awesome. The podcast is officially international. Now, this question is from Nicholas Herring. Hope I pronounced that correctly. From Berlin, Germany. And his question regards the rules of Ultimate. Everyone loves the rules. Everyone's favorite thing is the rules. And Nicholas says Ultimate as a sport has no cohesive set of rules yet between kind of the different country-based governing bodies, WIFDIF, the World Federation of Flying Disc, and the AUDL and Pro Leagues. So his question was, where do we stand on all the rules that get changed over these different arenas? He's thinking about things like the double team, different field sizes, referees, and so on and so forth. Um, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, of course. I would love to talk about the rules of Ultimate, one of, my, one of the joys of my, my life. So, Indeed. Let's start by saying, in my opinion, the rules of Ultimate are very basic. You pass the disc with a team, some friends, and you try to catch it in the other team's end zone, and that other team is trying to intercept the disc. I think at its core, in essence, that's what Ultimate Frisbee is. And I think all the rules are bells and whistles that don't really change pretty much anything. Indoor, outdoor, different levels, professional game. Yes, you see these small rule changes, but you know, it's just passing and catching all across the board. I think there is merit to having the pro game a little bit different. It definitely helps the user watch the sport if you've ever seen club or college it's insufferable it's you can't even watch but i think at most levels international club university i think they're fine with having some small tweaks of the rules as long as most of the essence stays the same what about you yeah i think that for me thinking of the rules is kind of like i try to interpret it like i interpret a lot of things that i don't really understand fully and that's where is the money i always look where's the money where's the money so you can see when you look at something like the audl like let, let me let me preface my statement with this i don't really care what the rules are you just tell me what they are and i'll do them you know like people are like oh it's not pure oh usa is more pure oh whiffed is more pure oh it's better like I do think that there is a lot to be said about the WIFDIF rules in making sure that people are safe. And I'm a big safety stan. You want to come at me with some 
some safety takes. I love it. I love safety. So I do think that some of the rules that WIFDIF has put into place in regarding contact and this sort of thing, they can be frustrating, but I do appreciate that they are prioritizing safety. Beyond the safety element, I don't really mind the different little changes, and I think that they each have their, their own charm. But when we think about following the money, the AUDL and other pro leagues are looking to package their games as a viewer product. So you have faster in-between points. You have um, these different things that try to make it look like the sport that people are used to watching in these different countries. So in the U.S. with the AUDL, you have something that's meant to look a lot like American football. It's played on the sides of, a, of, a football, of an American football field. Um, it's timed. There are quarters. Um, there are double teams. There's like less kind of spatial rules that are harder to understand. I'd be interested to see with other pro leagues. I know PUL um, and the Western Ultimate League are kind of more similar to um, the USAU rules, which is an interesting take. There are kind of the pro leagues. There's a pro league in Colombia now, or yeah, Cup CUP. There's a pro league in Colombia. I'd be I haven't watched any games from there. I'd be interested to see if they change the rules there to make it look a little bit more like soccer because that's kind of the dominant sport in Colombia. I'd, I'd be interested to see because I think that when thinking about making the rules, the people who created the AUDL were not necessarily longtime ultimate players, right? They're business people and people who enjoy sports. So they try to make it look like sports that are common cultural touchstones. Yeah, across the board. Like speaking of some of the ones you just mentioned, I just feel like people that are like playing ultimate at any level and they get really good at ultimate, they can just go to the next step, whether that's making it to the PUL or the AUDL or Cup Ultimate Pro, and they can say, "Oh, I'm really good at ultimate. This is my first time in this league. Is there any rule changes or is there any like things that are different about this?" your teammates or somebody tells you like the three things that are different. It happens to me. I played with Warao in world clubs. I was like, Oh, from Venezuela, Venezuela, shout out, great team, great culture. And there was like a pull went out of bounds and you take it on the sideline. If it doesn't pass the brick, and I was like, okay, like in WIFDF in WIFDF. And, but just, you learn those little small things and you just play ultimate. So that's why I don't think that they matter too much. Um, I do think it's cool self-refereed aspect, especially at the youth, um, youth club uh, and college is great for, you know, kids and people kind of growing up in the game. I think that's super cool. I don't think it is necessary at the professional level. I was going to ask you about the refs, no refs, observers, game advisors, um, and kind of if you have any specific takes there. Yeah, I think like the coolest part about Ultimate Frisbee is you want to win by being better than the other team. And that's something that the self-refereed aspect can give you. It's You have to be better. You can't cheat to win. That's like the coolest thing. You want, to, you want to win because you're better. You've practiced more. You had a better day than the other team. And I think that for the most part, it's upheld, especially you know my division, club, I do start to see like semifinals and finals being a little, okay, maybe now there's more calls or there's more travel calls or like people want to win a little bit more. So the calls come out, you know, and I can't put my foot on one or two instances that it's completely changed the game, but I'm sure there's people out there that use the calls to their advantage. And sometimes those players turn into teams and 
sometimes those teams turn into cities. So, you know, in the professional game, I think it's a huge overlap of club players and pro players. So it's like it doesn't completely change. A lot of people think, oh, the refs are here now. Everybody's going to cheat. But it's like the same group of people. I think in the future, if the pro game gets a different group of people or the club game goes a different direction, you know, maybe you might start to see people using the rules differently. But for the most part, almost essentially the same. Two things to clarify about what you said from my view. And I think that that was a great point. Um, the first is, I think that eventually it evens out, right? So perhaps in the in the professional scene with refs who are making active calls, they might miss a call. Totally. But then they'll miss way more calls for both teams throughout the game. So it evens out in that way. Whereas in the club game and, and places where players are making their own calls, I've seen this a lot where the more calls one team makes the more calls the other team will make kind of as like just, oh, that's how we're playing this game, you know, because it's very much like club seems to be you work it out with the other team, not even necessarily vocally or um, consciously. But I think that naturally when we play sports, we are in a relationship with the other team, as weird as that sounds. And I think that kind of the energy that passes back and forth between the teams can really influence the way that each team plays that game and part of playing the game is the way you make calls. So I think in both rule sets, it works itself out. Now, is that always exciting, fun, or even fair? No. But the second point that I want to make is that I think that what you said at first about being better than the other team like you want to win because you're better than the other team. I think that that is core to this rules chat in that if you are blaming your loss on one call or if you are blaming your loss on one missed call by a ref or one um, bad call by the other team if it's club, I think that there's something to that. Like that happens and it sucks and it's just part of the way ultimate is, but I do think that there's something to be said about if you're thinking about that one call and that's what cost you the whole game, I would encourage you to look back throughout the game and throughout your season and think about what you could have done differently to put yourself in a situation where it wouldn't have mattered, you know? And that's kind of just, it's a hard truth of ultimate, but it is one that you kind of have to factor in as you approach a game and understand that those bad calls, missed calls will happen and prepare yourself for it by playing harder. Yeah, the better you play, the better shot you and your team have to win. Great. Well, thank you so much for your question, Nicholas. Nicholas. If you want to send us a question, which we love to answer, and we will get to all of them, please do email us at onethrowpod at gmail.com. That is O-N-E-T-H-R-O-W-P-O-D at gmail.com. All right, Rowan, and to finish up here, um, we're going to do a little game. I love games. Suggested by our good friend Duncan Fitzgerald, the Flying Tomato. Great, great player. Truck stop player, breeze player, a hope good he, friend. Hope he comes back for Empire Game. I know he had a hamstring tweak at the U.S. Open. We really could use him. 
We could really use Dun- yeah. Duncan if you're listening. We to could this really game. use you, Hope you're Duncan. Feeling good. If you're feeling good, do those stretches. All right, it's a game sent in by the legend Duncan Fitzgerald, and the game is very simple. Rowan, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I want you to respond quickly, quick twitch. Okay, I'm ready. Do you want a, a quick twitch and a one sentence follow up? Yes, we. Okay. After it's not just do, a one. After answer. you do the quick twitch. Then you can follow up as you see fit. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, and I'm just going to ask these questions. Duncan sent them in, and hopefully we'll get some some spicy takes. You know, Ooh. the the words that he used specifically in the text he sent me was the idea is to promote quick, honest answers to some spicy questions. People won't have time to calculate the political correctness of their answers. <laughs> of course not. That's what, you know. It's we're here to give you honesty and not you know sugarcoat anything. All right, Rowan, are you ready? Although you cut out some of my hot takes on North Carolina in episode one. But okay. All right, Rowan, are you ready? I'm ready. And, and Hex, you also cut out some of my hot takes on Hex. Okay, I'm ready. Best thrower in the men's division, go. We can't take anybody at this pod. Eric Taylor, Jimmy Mickle tied. All right. But if we could take people from this podcast, I'm taking us too. <laughs> I just seen what we do on week-in, week-out basis. But I couldn't pick us. Best throw in the women's division. Go. Robin. Robin. <laughs> I think I, Robin play with her. I play with her for the first time at World Games Tryouts and was one of the funnest players to play with. Um, She's incredible. I saw her in the streets of Medellin one night and I went up to her and I said, you are my favorite player. And she said, me. And I said, you. Also, I think have to do a shout out. Now I have the the thirty seconds to think. Of course, Valeria is also oh, freaking incredible, insane. It's the creativity again. Another favorite. Yeah, it's just like you watch you watch Valeria Cardenas, and you see Valeria out on the field, and you see Valeria in her own end zone, and then you blink. And the disc is in the back of the other end zone after she threw a flick. With a ridiculous shape. Some crazy shots. Some, like, you would say that's low percentage, but it was just... Completed every time. Always. Every time. Okay. That's, that's a great clarification. All right, Rowan. Well, that seems to be it for us on this episode. Um, do you want to tell folks where they can reach you? Yep. Rowan McDonald on Instagram and YouTube. Gonna be gonna be cranking out some content soon. We say, promise. I always say that. We promise. Done like two months go by. Um, yeah, and for me, you can reach me at Darth Malks on Instagram and Johnny Malks on YouTube. Um, one thing that I did want to say here at the end of the show, quick plug, was that if you enjoy our show, if you like it, feel free to give it a rate on whatever podcast app you're listening to. Um, but also, one of the best things you can do is just tell other folks in the Ultimate community, tell your friends, um, or just even folks who don't play Ultimate and want Rowan and I in their pocket. Uh, until then, Rowan, got any last words? No. Can't do two throws at once.